the following message entitled, A Passionate Pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Part of the series, What We Are All About, was given by Joe Ryer on February 17, 2013 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. Um, we are this morning in the middle of a series called What Are We All About? So we're talking about the main things as a church that we're all about. And if you want to become a member, this is the time to listen to these messages and um, figure out what does this church believe? What are some of the core values? We're about halfway into this series. So um, that's where we're picking up today. Today's title is A Passionate Pursuit of the Holy Spirit. And if you're newer to the church or you're, um, today's your first Sunday and you're wondering what happened at announcements there, what happened was Mark loves technology. He loves it so much. And his iPad mini failed him as he came up this morning. And if you, if you know us, there's four pastors on staff. If you had to rank us in our love and um, awareness and use of technology, you might be surprised by the rankings. Number one, you wouldn't be surprised by Stephen, by far, is number one at the list. But number two might surprise you. Mark is number two in his love, appreciation, and passion for technology. And then there's Bob Mundorf, our intern. He, he's slowly coming up, catching up to Mark. And then about ten miles behind is me. Um, though I do own an iPhone 4S, I just got my first smartphone this year. But I'm way behind. I'm so behind, I'm going to read you an Apple ad that um, came out in September. I know college students, this is so old news and not impressive. I understand. Um, but I had to just show you where my, my ranking is with technology because I know my friends here this morning, they don't even want to hear me talk about Apple stuff or anything to do with technology because I know nothing. So, with all that said, those of you who own the iPhone 5, you know you have that very essential um, thing on your iPhone 5 that allows you to take a panoramic picture of this entire room. And where would you be without that application? How would you survive life or college if you couldn't take a picture of this entire room? Apparently, according to the article I have in front of me, you can go 240 degrees and take this incredible picture, and it has 38 megapixels that are together, so you get this really cool thing and this wonderful panoramic view of whatever you want to take a picture of. It's extremely useful. Well, keep that, that image in mind, um, because today what I want to do, what I want us to do, is, is have a panoramic view of the Holy Spirit, of, of a big, wide-lens view of what does it mean to have a passionate pursuit of the Holy Spirit. And to just stir some thinking, I want you to imagine if we had a survey and I went around to different churches and different denominations and different groups and talked to a whole variety of Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, and I asked them this simple question. How do you know when the Holy Spirit is at work among you? How do you know when the Holy Spirit's at work? Well, depending on who you talk to or where you go, you may get different answers. One answer might be, well, I know the Holy Spirit is at work when I'm reading my Bible at four in the morning and a verse I've read 20 times just suddenly 
becomes real and powerful to me. Another person might say, well, I know the Holy Spirit's at work when my pastor's preaching. He closes this book. He says, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about your lunch that's cooking right now. Let it burn. We're not limited by time. We're not limited by anything. We're just going to wait and wait on the Holy Spirit. Some people would say that's when the Holy Spirit's really starting to work. Others might say the Holy Spirit is really at work when all the English-speaking people no longer speak in English, when they're all speaking in tongues of another language. Someone might say the Holy Spirit is at work when the last person in the room that is standing is laid out on the ground. The Holy Spirit is at work. Others might say the Holy Spirit's at work when I experience great conviction for my sin. Others might say the Holy Spirit's at work when I experience great joy and excitement about the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to take a panoramic view of all, not all, but many of the different places in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is mentioned and see all the different things that He does. I want to read one verse and then pray and then we'll jump into the message. This is from John chapter 14. And Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down. And that's who we want to know more about this morning. Let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, we pray that we would grow in our love and appreciation for You this morning. Or we pray that our lens would widen to all the countless ways that You are at work in our life, in our church, in the body of Christ throughout the world. Lord, just grow our expectation. Lord, I pray where there's misunderstanding, there would be clarity. Where there's maybe not openness to certain gifts or certain things that You love to do, I pray that there would be sudden faith. And Holy Spirit, more than anything, we want to know You more. We want to experience You more. And Lord, we just look to You and ask all this in Your name. Amen. It was a very simple message. I'm going to try to answer two questions. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? The Bible is very clear that there's one God and that He exists in three persons. So that's something if you, you were raised in a Christian home, you probably learned at a young age. It's called the Trinity. It can be a little perplexing how it works, but it's very clear from the Bible that there's one God exists in three persons. The three persons are God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think when it comes to this subject, God the Father, God as Creator, and Father, um, that, that makes a little more sense to us. I think it's easy to get our minds around it because we know what fathers are. Jesus being the Son, that makes sense to us. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us all these countless things that Jesus has done. So that that's easier to get our minds around. But when we come to the Holy Spirit, I think it is more abstract. It's more difficult to get our minds around. And so, we might be thinking, well, is, is the Holy Spirit 
sort of like the Force in Star Wars. Like, you know that's wrong, but that's our reference point. Like, is it sort of like when Luke was on the Dagobah system and Yoda's training him and the forces seem to be at work and he's feeling something and he's being trained? Is that, is that what it is? Is it just the, the power part of the Godhead? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, from numerous places in the Bible, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is distinct. He is not God the Father, He is not God the Son, and He is God. So you think of the day when Jesus got baptized. All three members of the Trinity are present. So God the Father speaks, says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And Jesus Himself is getting water baptized. So all three are in existence at the exact same time. Well, is... Does the Bible say that the Holy Spirit is God? The answer to that question is yes. He is a person and He is God. If you remember in the book of Acts, really cool things were happening in Acts and people were selling properties and giving money away. And one couple decided to give the appearance of giving all their money away when they sold their land. But they decided to keep some money back. And they didn't have to give anything away. But they wanted to give an appearance that they were generous and godly like everybody else. But they were being deceptive. And listen to what Peter says in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So he had a piece of land, he sold it, he kept some cash back, and gave the appearance that he was giving all the money away. And then Peter says, you have not lied to men, but to God. So to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. Because God the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. So He is a distinct person. He is far greater than the force or a force. He is God Himself. God the Holy Spirit. And so that's important as we think about what He does. Because we can at times think of, of different analogies that put Him in an impersonal way. And sometimes they can be helpful, but keep in mind, this is God Himself. God the Holy Spirit. And for the remainder, we're going to just look at what are some of the things that God the Holy Spirit does. And keep in mind, we want the, the panoramic view of the Holy Spirit. We want to be trained and we want to study what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does. And the reason we want to do that is because as we learn more about what the Holy Spirit does, we begin to see Him everywhere. We'll begin to see God, the Holy Spirit, at work everywhere. And your faith will be built and stirred. Probably like all of you, I have a number of friends who just have really cool gifts that I don't have. So Mark, a good friend of mine. Not only is he a pastor, not only is he a songwriter, but he's also an artist. He can paint very well. And at times we, we've been to the artist's hand, the, the art gallery uptown, and he's looking at all the paintings. And when I look at the paintings, I have like three categories. Like bad, good, and really good. So one week we were there, I said, Mark, now tell me, like, what's the difference between a good painting and a great painting? Or a good painter and a great painter? And when he looks at these paintings, 
he sees stuff that I do not see. He sees brush strokes. He sees all these incredible things I just don't see. I also have a friend, Jay Herman, in the church who's a science teacher. Um, he comes to my house in my backyard. I have a lot of trees. And, and the way I look at the trees in my backyard, I have big trees and little trees. I have green trees and brown trees. Uh, I have some that keep their leaves on and some that, that don't. When he looks at my backyard, he sees all kinds of things. He has Latin phrases coming to mind. And he's, he, oh, I, that tree is very rare. Or that tree should not be growing in your backyard in western Pennsylvania. Why is it here? Jay, I have no idea. It's a big tree. <laughs> but, but the point is, because of their gifts and their training, when they look at the area that they're, they're strong in, oh, they see something in completely different. And as Christians and as a church family, and as your pastors, we want you, when you look around in your own life, and when you look around at the church, we want you to see not just, oh, God's doing a few things. But no, God is at work all over the place. And as you study the work of the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that. So, I'm not going to hit on everything the Holy Spirit does, but I'm going to hit on some of the big ideas. So the first one, what does He do? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life and dwells in us. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life and dwells in us. So think about it this way. God the Father comes up with the plan. John 3.16 He loves the world. He sends His Son. Jesus, His Son, accomplishes the plan. He executes the plan. Comes into a fallen world. Dies on the cross as our substitute. Rises from the dead. But if it was just God the Father and God the Son... We'd have a plan. We'd have a plan executed. But none of us would believe in the plan because we need the Holy Spirit to believe the plan, for the plan to apply to us and and for Jesus' death to be for us. Listen to John 3, where this is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. He says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sounds. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with Everyone who is born of the Spirit. So one of the most, if not the most incredible things that God the Holy Spirit does in our lives is He makes us spiritually alive. He gives us spiritual life. The Bible is very clear that we were born spiritually dead. And so at some point in your life, whether you were 4, 5, 6, 7, 19, 20, 40, 50, 60 years old, you went, if you're a believer in Jesus, from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Well, how did that happen? Well, you repented of your sins. You believed in Jesus. But how did that happen? Well, that happened because God, the Holy Spirit, came inside of you and made you alive. That is how that happened. And so I think when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of a bunch of things that, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if 
a blind person was prayed for, and they could suddenly see. Wouldn't it be amazing if I went to the third heaven like Paul did, even though we don't even know what that is? Wouldn't that be amazing? That, that would be a fun experience. Wouldn't it be amazing if not only did I speak in tongues, but I could interpret it? Wouldn't that be incredible? And all those things would be incredible. But the most incredible thing you've already experienced. You've experienced, if you are a Christian, something far more incredible than speaking in tongues and being able to interpret it. Or praying for someone and watching them suddenly jump up and be healed. Because God, the Holy Spirit, gave you spiritual life. He made you alive. And, and that's a great work of the Holy Spirit. So I understand what people mean when they say, well, I just don't see the Holy Spirit at work too much. Well, if there's Christians present, the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work. Or there wouldn't be any Christians in the room. That's a primary work of the Holy Spirit. So He makes us alive, and then He dwells in us. And I want you to think about this. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. And dwells among us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So in the Old Testament, there were very strict rules and regulations of where and how God's Spirit would dwell. But once Jesus came and the, the temple curtain was torn in two, full access for every believer in Jesus. And now, God the Holy Spirit dwells in us as individuals and dwells in us as a group. That is incredible. If you were a Jew living in the Old Testament times and someone came up to you with their camel and just, hey, you know what I heard? One day, the Holy Spirit isn't just going to dwell in the temple or the tabernacle. He's going to be inside of all of us, no matter who we are. And here's the kicker. You don't even have to be Jewish for that to happen. Well, that would have been shocking if we were Jewish. And that's what happened. And that's why Jesus says, it's better for me to go up and ascend to the Father because the Holy Spirit will come down. He will make us alive. He will dwell among us. He will be poured out upon us. Well, because He's in us, at times He guides us. He directs us. And at times that can be a subjective thing. Now, you might be getting nervous, depending on your background. You might be thinking, no, the, the Word of God directs us and guides us. Yes, that is true. Primarily, the Word of God directs us and guides us. But the Holy Spirit also, at times can guide and direct us as well. Listen to what Acts 15.28 says. So this is the Jerusalem Council. All the, the big name leaders at this time are gathered, and this is what they say. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So there was a subjective element. They sought God. They're looking at the Old Testament. They're studying. They're praying. And yet the Holy Spirit guides and directs. Now this book is our protection. So the Holy Spirit never leads us away from something that's clear 
in the Bible. So if somebody is married, two Christians are married, and one says, I think the Lord is leading me to marry someone else. Well, no, he's not. The Bible is crystal clear in that subject. But if you're praying, Lord, I know I have to move to get a job. I don't know if I should move to Cleveland or Austin, Texas. I'm not sure. So you seek counsel. You read the Bible. You pray. But there may just be a subjective sense that Austin is the place you should go instead of Cleveland. So, He dwells in us. He he guides us. He leads us. Another thing that happens because He dwells in us is He assures us of our adoption. He assures us that we're His. That we belong to God the Father. John, the aged apostle, writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in Him, or we remain in God, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. By this we know we're, we're children of God because He has given us His Spirit. That there at times can be a subjective sense for a Christian where we're just aware that we are God's children. This kind of thing is sort of like if someone is adopted and they're wondering, am I really adopted? And they look at the their official papers, they get them out, Yes, on this date, at this time, I was adopted. And that helps them. And that's like us reading the Bible and believing anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is brought into his family. But for that child or teenager who's adopted, they can look at the papers. But boy, isn't it more powerful when the mom or dad who has adopted them puts their arm around them, hugs them, gets them a birthday gift, gets them presents, takes them out to dinner... It's a more tangible expression. At times, the Holy Spirit will just assure us and care for us and fill us freshly with the Spirit. And it's a subjective element, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just another expression of how much God loves us and another proof that God the Holy Spirit dwells in us. One more thought along the lines of He dwells in us. is because He's in us, He teaches us how to pray. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you realize that all your troubles didn't end when you put your faith in Jesus. And In many ways, for some of us, our troubles began and things get more complicated and more difficult. And so there are times where we're perplexed. We don't know what to do. We don't even know what to pray. We don't know what to say to the Lord. It's not because we don't believe Him. It's not because we don't think He cares. We're just perplexed. And Paul says this in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Think about that. He's the Holy Spirit, but He's our comforter, our counselor. He helps us in our weakness. So He's compassionate. He's kind. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Even God the Holy Spirit is tenderly caring for us. Oh, I know you're perplexed. I know you don't see a way out. I know you don't know how it's going to work. But I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm helping you. I'm at work. I, I am 
interceding on your behalf. All that made possible because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So what else does the Holy Spirit do? As we're having this panoramic view of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. He makes us more like Jesus. So what that means is the day you trusted in Jesus till the day you die as a Christian, you will be more like Jesus as days and weeks and months and years go by because God the Holy Spirit's at work among you. Paul uses the reference of spiritual fruit. So, some of you have fruit trees in your backyard and you know a healthy apple tree because in the spring, little buds will come up and by summer, there will be apples on the tree. And there's an obvious fruit from a healthy apple tree. Well, Paul uses the same picture to describe the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us and among us. Listen to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us, here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. One of the challenges with this verse is probably many of you memorized this and could say it very quickly. But I know for me at times when I think of this verse, I don't think of applying it to how is the Lord at work all over our church. But if you take just this verse, this list of fruits, and you begin to look around at every church member, every follower of Jesus, what you quickly see is God the Holy Spirit is at work. Let me give you an example. So if you're interacting with someone in the church who has just lost their job, bills are piling up, and there is peace in the Lord. doesn't mean they're not doing anything, but there's a real deep peace that they're, they're not afraid. They're not fearful. I remember talking to somebody in the church recently, they said, who's a, been a Christian for a long time, they said, if we didn't have peace and faith now, shame on us as, as they're waiting for God to provide. But the reason they could say that is because God the Holy Spirit has worked in them over time. And that's a fruit of the Spirit. That's God the Holy Spirit at work. If you're in a difficult work situation or family situation and someone is shouting at you, yelling at you, charging you falsely, and you're, you're replying with kindness and love towards them, that's not just a personality thing. That's God, the Holy Spirit, at work within you. That's God at work. Because naturally, we all want to retaliate. We want to say stuff. We want to throw punches. So if, if you're kind and gentle, that's God at work. One of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. I know some of you are caring for people that are very sick and have been doing so for a very long time. And you are faithfully doing that. Year after year. Well, you could say, I'm just doing it because I have to. But you're doing it with joy. You're doing it with peace. You're doing it with kindness. 
That's a powerful, enduring, lasting work of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is at work. And I think a case could be made that that same individual you're caring for, if God, the Holy Spirit, chose to heal them instantly, it might not be as incredible as this enduring work. We want both. As Mark said this morning, we want to pray for people that are healed, but we also want to watch God at work and family members and friends as you patiently endure. One more way God the Holy Spirit is at work in this broad category is if you have self-control. So you're tempted to sin. And you're really tempted to sin. And yet, you take an exit ramp away from that sin. And you flee it and turn from it. You didn't just do that because, hey, I'm considering the consequences and I'm tired of getting in trouble. No, you did it because God, the Holy Spirit, is producing self-control in your life. He's making you more like Jesus. And so as you look around, just with this list, you begin to see God, the Holy Spirit, at work. Paul says in Galatians, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God, the Holy Spirit, wants to help us to walk by the Spirit. So, what does He do? He gives us life. He dwells among us. He produces spiritual fruit. He makes us more like Jesus. What are some other things He he does? Well, the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to serve Jesus. He gives us real power and strength. Listen to what Mark chapter 1 says. This is quoting John the Baptist. John the Baptist is at the height of his ministry. People are flocking to him. And this is what he says. He says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He's talking about Jesus. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Think about water baptism. When somebody is water baptized, they are immersed into the water and they're brought back out. When somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they are immersed in the Holy Spirit. They are saturated in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this description from Acts 2. So we're at Pentecost. They've been waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is about to happen, or has happened. The disciples are gathered. They're speaking in tongues of known languages at the time. There's a real physical presence of the Lord in the room. And Peter, who had denied Christ about 50 days earlier, boldly stands up and begins to talk and preach and bring some interpretation to what is happening in the room. So this is in Acts 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So he's pointing to his friends, fellow disciples. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third 
hour of the day. So apparently in Peter's world, people couldn't drink in the morning. But it's early in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, what Peter's about to do is saying, what you guys are seeing is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy from the last from the Old Testament. And Joel writes this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. And those days I will pour out out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. In other words, what Peter is saying is Joel prophesied that the new covenant age was coming and when it came, God's spirit wouldn't just be poured out in select ways. So it wouldn't just be Someone like Moses who sees the burning bush. Or someone like Joseph who has this incredible ability to interpret dreams. Or someone like Daniel who has just this unique relationship with the Lord. But no, all people who call on the name of Jesus, I will pour out My Spirit on them. All people. And even in this context, slaves, My male and female servants, everybody, children, all walks of life. Not just Jewish people, not just Jewish leaders, but all people, because Jesus is going to make that possible. And so, God the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out when Jesus ascends. Jesus ascended, God the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And Peter is saying this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is happening. That was promised. That Jesus promises to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. First evidence of that, Acts 2. Now, if you've been around our church for a while, you're really curious to hear what I say next. Because in our church, if you're newer to the church, here's what you need to know. We believe that all the gifts in the New Testament are for today. So we don't believe gifts have ceased. The gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues with interpretation, the gift of healing, whatever it would be that's in the New Testament, we believe they're for today. The question is, does the baptism of the Holy Spirit happen in a Christian's life at conversion? When you are born again? Is Joel 2 fulfilled then? Or is it a different time? And if I would survey the church right now, different people in the church would have different answers to that question. And so, as a church, we hold that either position is an acceptable position because I think if you came to me and said, Joe, can you show me from the Bible where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given at conversion? I could make a pretty persuasive case. And if you came back the next day and said, Joe, can you show me from the Bible where the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens after conversion, I can make a pretty persuasive case. The question for us and the heart of your pastors is we want to continue to encounter the Holy Spirit. So whether you think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion, when you were born again, you have all of the Holy Spirit, or you think that you see the pattern in Acts where it's subsequent experiences. 
our main concern as Christians is that we continue to pursue the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we want to emphasize. And that's why we can have common ground and allow both positions to, I think, thrive in the church. Because the accent in the New Testament isn't a command to be baptized in the Spirit. The command is to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way. To be filled over and over and over and over with the Spirit. So, we don't want to look back and say in 1975 I was baptized in the Spirit or 1995 I was baptized in the Spirit. We say in 2013, February, whatever date it is, 15th or 16th, God the Holy Spirit filled me once again. Over and over and over again. Listen to what Paul says. Before I say that, I realize that this raises some questions and all of us as pastors would love to to talk about those questions you might have. But listen to the emphasis in the book of Ephesians from Paul. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the idea there is to be filled and keep being filled over and over and over again. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a helpful, very helpful, informative passage. The image is, what Paul is saying here, he's comparing getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people, some Christians have interpreted that to mean Well, we shouldn't get drunk with wine. We should get totally inebriated with the Holy Spirit. And so, we're going to be doing weird things just like people intoxicated would be doing. We're just going to do it without that. By the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what Paul means. What Paul, all Paul is saying here is just like if we went to, drove by a bar last night at 2 in the morning and looked in, I think it's safe to say we would see a room of people full of alcohol. They were filled with alcohol. And there was evidence of that, that fullness in speech and actions and, and all the kind of things you're thinking of. Well, the same way for the church, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be full of the Holy Spirit. So when people come in, when people interact with us as individuals and as an entire church, there's just an obvious awareness. Oh, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this list, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is people are singing. People are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They're making melody to the Lord. They're giving thanks. There is a gratefulness to the Lord. They're giving thanks for everything. That's an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine the effect of a church full of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, this is one that we probably don't think of often. And evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is there are people submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, when we think of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filling us, there can be the physical presence of the Lord. But there will be joy and thankfulness and gratitude 
and reverence for Jesus and a willingness to submit to, to one another as appropriate, all because God the Holy Spirit is filling us. Gordon Fee says this about this passage. He says, So then, Paul urges the communities to whom this letter is written, those in Ephesus, be filled with the fullness of God by Spirit. And let that be evidenced not by the Spirit inebriation, but by behavior and worship that gives full evidence to God's empowering presence. That there is strength and there is godliness and there is power. Last Sunday after church, we prayed for a couple people. I was walking to the, get a cup of coffee and I, I just ran into Rodney um, Allshouse, whose wife is, is very sick right now. And, and we just talked a little bit and another church member came up, shared a prophecy with him. Rodney was filled with the Holy Spirit freshly. Tears were just running down his face. And his gratitude was for Jesus and what Jesus had done in his life. It was a fresh encounter with the Lord that produced reverence for Jesus, a thankfulness in his heart. And that, that's an effect of being filled with the Spirit. It refreshed him and strengthened him. And we want that for everyone. The Holy Spirit not only does that, but He gives us power and gifts. There is real power in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, you might be familiar with this, in verse 31, Christians are praying. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So they were praying. They wanted to share the Gospel. They were going out on mission and God the Holy Spirit is shaking things and they're all filled and they're aware of their filling. So there's a I think a case could be made. They're experiencing something of the Holy Spirit and the effect is they are bold about Jesus. And they are bold against opposition. They are standing up and they are proclaiming Jesus Christ and what He's done for anyone who would call on His name. That's a powerful effect of the Holy Spirit. And so when, when you're talking to your relative who hates Jesus and doesn't think of you very highly. And you're afraid to have a conversation about Jesus. You pray, Lord, please fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Give me boldness because You love this individual who hates You right now. And He'll do that. And He'll give you boldness. And you get to watch God work. So as a church, we want to pray for power from the Lord to share the Gospel. Now we have talked about this in other messages as well, but with the idea of building one another up and and helping us in our mission to reach the lost, He gives us power and He gives us gifts. He gives us all sorts of gifts. There's different gift lists in the, the, the New Testament. There can be gifts that seem ordinary, like administration or teaching or the gift of helps. There can be gifts that seem more extraordinary, like the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues. But all those are to strengthen the church and to help the church of Jesus accomplished the mission for Jesus. And they're all works of the Holy Spirit. 
One last work I want to talk about is that as the Holy Spirit's at work among us, doing powerful things, doing quieter things, doing extraordinary things, one of the primary effects that you see in the early church in the New Testament is there was real unity in Jesus among the church. That when the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives as individuals and in us as a church, there is a unity in Jesus Christ. And as your pastors, we want that unity to be here so much because it speaks truthfully about Jesus and His Holy Spirit. It speaks truthfully about what He did for us when He lived for us and died for us. And so I just want to close with this last passage from Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. What does He do? He does a thousand things. And as you read your Bible and look for the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to see Him all over the place, in our church, and in other churches, wherever the name of Jesus is being preached. Let me just pray and you guys can stand and we're going to have the band come up. Father, thank You for devising the plan where all our sin and shame could be paid for by Jesus. Jesus, thank You for going through with the plan. And Holy Spirit, thank You for applying the plan to our lives. Holy Spirit, thank You for comforting us and counseling us and caring for us and dwelling in us. And Holy Spirit, as we sing this last song, pray all of us would be freshly filled with Your Spirit and gratitude and joy would rise up in our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful to be Your people. And Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.